0: Now, Father, I'm abundantly grateful that you use feeble and frail humans to preach your great gospel. Lord, we come to hear from you. So may it be less of me and more of you, and may you minister to our hearts and meet us at the point of our need. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The time starts now. All right. (laughs) Luke chapter 20, verse 9a. And he began to tell the people this parable. He being Jesus turned and told the people a parable, a story to make a point. And in order to understand the point that Jesus is looking to make in this parable that he's telling we have to be aware of the incidents that took place prior to Jesus sharing this story. And we can see a high level overview of what happened right before Jesus shared this parable. Luke in the 19th chapter, the second half tells us of Jesus's entry into Jerusalem. Jesus comes into a king's greeting. Verses 37 through 40 let us know how the crowd cheered him on, but also how some others did not appreciate what they were hearing. The word reads, as he was drawing near already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen saying, blessed is the king. Who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. So the disciples in this procession were crying out, Jesus is the king. And the Pharisees respected and reverenced Jesus as a teacher. They didn't submit to him as king. And so Jesus goes into Jerusalem and we see in the latter part of chapter 19 that Jesus enters into the temple. And Matthew would have us to know that in the driving out of those selling in the temple that Jesus flipped up some tables and kicked down some chairs because people were making the house of God a den of thieves and Jesus would not have any of that. And then verse 47 of chapter 19 tells us that Jesus was teaching daily in the temple and the chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him. So with all of the fanfare that Jesus may have received coming in, there was the religious leaders that were not pleased to hear what they were hearing and see what they were seeing. And so now we go into chapter 20 and we see that The chief priest and the scribes and the Pharisees are questioning the authority of Christ. Verses one and two. One day as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priest and the scribes with the elders came up and said to him, tell us by what authority you do these things or who is it that gave you this authority? So now they're wondering who made you the boss? that you would come into this temple, flipping up tables, kicking over chairs, and chasing people out. You're a good teacher, but you are not the chief priest. So they're questioning his authority. And Jesus answers their question with a question. And the Pharisees and the scribes and the chief priests don't answer Jesus' question. So Jesus doesn't answer their question. Instead, Jesus turns to the people, and he tells this parable. And the chief priest and the scribes and the Pharisees, after hearing this parable, would realize, as we see in today's text, verse 19. They perceived that he, Jesus, had told this parable against them. So then we understand that this parable, this story that's being told to make a point, is about the chief priest, the scribes, the Pharisees, those who reject the kingship. Of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so the tenants in this story represent the chief priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, those who reject God. The servants, one can argue, are the prophets that were mistreated, abused, and kicked out. The owner of the vineyard is God the Father. And the beloved son is none other than our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The tenants were not content to be stewards over The father's vineyard, they wanted full control. And so they abused and misused the servants and they killed the son of the owner. And Jesus asked the question, what then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? These tenants, he will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. The point was clearly received. By the chief priests, the scribes, and the Pharisees. And you could tell by their response. When they heard this, they said, Surely not. Absolutely no way possible that could happen. Jesus' story was resonating. And Jesus looks directly at them. Now, my spiritual imagination, this wasn't a, a fairy tale kind of gaze. Like, Aren't you just adorable? No, it was a piercing stare through your eyes into your soul and Jesus looks directly at them and lets them know it's written and i love how Jesus does that he doesn't say this is my opinion no do you know what the word of god says now again he's talking to the chief priest those who would have memorized which still blows my mind that this could be possible the torah so they would be very well aware of the word of god and what god The son is getting ready to say to them, what then is this that is written? Jesus teases out from Psalm 118 and maybe Isaiah 28. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And then Jesus points them to the scroll of Isaiah. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. In other words, your response To the son. Will determine your outcome. You cannot reject the son of God. And not expect. To experience condemnation. Right? That's what we read in John. 13. John 3 verse 16 and on. Jesus says that I have come. Not to condemn the world. But to save the world. But if you don't receive the son. Then you're condemned already. So if you reject the stone. The stone that. The Lord has sent that becomes the cornerstone, then you will be crushed and broken to pieces. Now, this is not a happy kind of a story. This parable may sink in the pit of your stomach and cause you to feel a little bit unsettled, maybe even squeamish if you find yourself a religious leader and if you find yourself agreeing with the religious leaders. And this is the truth of God's word that we all must grapple with. We may not like to talk about it regularly, but the reality is if there's a heaven, there's also a hell. And if you reject the only one who can save your soul, then you're already condemned. But the good news of the gospel is that the cornerstone does not have to crush you or break you into pieces because the cornerstone was sent to care, to cover, to keep you but you need to respond rightly to this cornerstone. And that's what the word of God lets us know. Peter, one of the apostles of Jesus Christ, who would have been with Jesus as he entered into the city of Jerusalem during what we call Holy Week. And he would have been with Jesus the entire time until Jesus was taken out of the garden as a common criminal. Peter, hearing this very parable, now is sharing with the future, the now disciples of this truth of our response to Jesus Christ, of our response to the cornerstone. That if we respond rightly, the cornerstone will comfort, care, and keep us. But if we don't respond rightly, if we reject the stone, then we will find ourselves crushed and broken into pieces. First Peter chapter 2, starting at verse 4. As you come to him, him being Jesus Christ, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. This cornerstone, this very cornerstone that Jesus just said in this parable that he then explained in referencing Isaiah 8. Peter is letting us know this cornerstone does not have to crush you. If you come to him, if you believe, if you trust, if you put your hope in Jesus, you, like this living stone, will become spiritual stones. You will become children of God. It's your honor for those who believe. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. But you have to receive Jesus. And Peter, again, understanding the teachings of Jesus, goes on. In this letter, verse 7b, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Peter is quoting the same passages that Jesus referenced in the parable that we just read in Luke 20. If you reject the stone, if you reject the sun, then you're going to find yourself in trouble. It will become a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And the rejection, Peter lets us know, is disobedience to the word of God. If you disobey God's word, the very thing that Jesus desires to do, to cover you, to keep you, To care for you. He's not able to do. But not because he does not desire it. But because you will not receive it from him. The scriptures let us know that it's not God's desire that any should perish. But that all should be saved. We have a responsibility. We have a response. For those who come to Jesus. And find the comfort, the care, the cover that comes from our Lord and Savior. The scriptures go on to tell us, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Mercy. You are different because you have come to Jesus. You are a holy people, a royal priesthood, and you have a specific purpose to make much of the name of Jesus so that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And Peter goes on to admonish those who have come to him, who have received the cornerstone to behave in a way. That's appropriate for those who call themselves children of God. He says in verse 11 and 12. Beloved, I urge you, exhort, plead with you. If I could force you. As sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. There was this expectation that we as believers would not continue to behave in a way that's demonstrated in the world, but that as we come to Christ, we would now as citizens of heaven, live as sojourners and exiles in this life. And this is an important point to be made because when we look back at this parable that Jesus told, who was he speaking to? He was not speaking to Gentiles. He was speaking to the chief priest, the scribes and the Pharisees, those who knew the word of God. And yet he's telling them, that their response to the son is going to determine their outcome. They would look at you and tell you, we're not slaves to sin. We are children of Abraham. And Jesus is letting them know, no, what you do with me is going to determine where you find yourself for eternity. And we have that same danger as the chief priests, the scribes and the Pharisees, where we can rest on our laurels and think because I know some things that I can coast into glory. No, you cannot. Until the day the Lord calls you home, we have to run, we have to endure to the end. So as long as we're on this earth, we cannot be like the tenants and become complacent and look to gain control and try to make it about our comfort. We have to stay awake and continue to fight the good fight of faith. We must live as sojourners and exiles. That means when people look at you and they look at me, they should see something different. I don't live counter to the culture. I live in obedience to God's word. And when you see that, it should cause you to wonder, what is it that makes you different? Why is it? That you do not just use this foul language. Why is it that you do not just tell somebody a piece of your mind? Why is it that you love people who are not being loving to you? Because I've come, I've come to the stone, the cornerstone, and he's changed my life. And now, as I have come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Like living stones, I'm being built up as a spiritual house. And now I'm a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. I'm not going to live contrary to the word of God. See, we have to be careful, people of God, because in our cultural day, we're good with a lot of information. And information is not a bad thing. But information without application does not put us in the position of experiencing transformation. I spoke to an atheist who has memorized the Psalms. You're right. I did not say Psalm 1. The Psalms. I have not even thought to attempt to memorize the Psalms. I love Psalm 119, and I get about halfway through, and I'm like, there's no way I'm going to remember this. By the time I remember it, I'm going to forget it. Memorized the Psalms and does not believe in God. How how did you get past 104 uh and not be in awe of Jesus? How? How does that happen? The devil believes and trembles, but yet he does not respond. The tenants did not respond rightly. The chief priests, the scribes did not respond rightly. It's not enough. I don't know where you stand on this. Drew will clean it up later if he needs to. It's not enough to say that you prayed the sinner's prayer. That's not even a thing. Do you believe? It? We'll talk later. Remember, you can't tell me I prayed the sinner's prayer when I was 20, but for the last 23 years I've been living like a hellion. Then I don't know what you said then, but you're not saved. If you truly have come to Jesus, then you know how I'm gonna know that? You will look like the one that you love. You will live like sojourners and exiles, abstaining from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Listen, I don't have to come back here, so I'm going to just lay it all out. (laughs) There's some things that we really need to wrestle with, family. There's some things that we're watching on TV that isn't edifying to our body, but it's feeding some passions of the flesh. There's some things that you're reading that's not feeding the soul, but it's fueling the passions of the flesh. Sojourn Oak Forest. Sojourners and exiles. Act like it. Live like it. Right? There's some things that we have to say no to. Is it in and of itself evil? Absolutely not. But if it's not edifying my soul, then what is it doing to me? Could it be enough to just start to lure me away ever so slightly from the things of God? You think about how Paul lived, right? We just read Philippians. I count all that stuff as loss. Why? That I might gain the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. Right? So I put some things behind Can I do those things? I could. But it's not beneficial for me to continue to endure to the end. And I want to hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. You can hear the parable from Luke 20 and feel like, well, I'm not the tenants. I'm not a scribe. I believe that Jesus is king. I'd be a part of the crowd saying, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. And Jesus tells another parable of a father who tells his son to go out and do some work. And the son says, absolutely not, I will not. But then he goes and he does it. And another son says, I will, but he doesn't go and do it. Says, which son do you think the father is pleased with? The one who did. The one who followed through. Make sure today, family, that we're not giving God lip service. The chief priests and the scribes, they fasted, they prayed, they gave tithes and alms. And Jesus called them hypocrites. Father, may that not be true about me. This story should be personal. Because if we understand it, then we do not get comfortable. We do not get complacent. We live as sojourners and exiles. Stop trying to make this earth home. You're on a camp out at best. Go without some amenities so that you might see God rightly and respond rightly to him. One challenge that I'm going to pray. I'm genuinely impressed that it hasn't been 25 minutes yet. Can I get a hand clap? I mean, just real quick. I just encourage me. Because it actually is doable. Michael, I feel like you really can't preach until you hit the 50 minute mark Hopefully that's not the case today (laughs) Well, you all have a different setup and it works well, right? Let me tell you the truth family When you leave here today, please Don't let it just be another step Look at your life and ask yourself is there anything that could start to cause my affections for the Lord to wane ever so slightly? Is there something that's just taking my attention just a little bit? And if there is, and if we're honest, if you can't find it, it's probably because you're not looking. If there is, that's why we do Lent and we practice these different church calendar kind of activities. What for? So that we could remember that it's very easy to drift and go astray. Please, examine yourselves. And I need to do the same. Is there anything that would cause me to be in danger to find myself being like the chief priests, the scribes, and the Pharisees? And if there is, Respond rightly to the son. He's not looking to crush you. He wants to care for you and keep you. And if he says that there's something that's not so good for you, it's only because he loves you and he wants what's best for you. Will you respond to God that way today? I pray that you say yes. And that it's not just information, but you'll leave here looking to apply what you've heard. So that we can experience transformation and find ourselves being comforted by the cornerstone and not crushed. Will you pray with me? Father, we're grateful for the good news of the gospel. For how you let us know that you have sent your son to save us. Not to condemn us, but that you also let us know that we must respond rightly to the word of God repeatedly. And so, Lord, we come not just looking to receive information this morning. But looking to be transformed. To apply the truths of your word. So that we might see, know and believe. That Jesus is the Christ. Thank you for the finished work of the cross. For the blood of our Lord and Savior. That our relationship is not based on perfection. It's not based on our performance. But it's based on your grace and your mercy. So I pray that we all leave this place today. Ready to run. For you. And to leave some things behind. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.